Hey, you know what? Uh, watching your mouth is a pretty amazing thing because I tell you, that is something that I feel like in the church across America, one of the most serious problems, one of the most serious social problems in the church is gossip. And many, of, many times it's, it's uh, cloaked in a prayer request. Oh, we need to pray for Miss So-and-so because she is going through, you see where I'm coming from, right? Or Mr. So-and-so is doing this. We need to be praying for him. And gossip is, is a terrible thing in the house of God. Amen? And so watching your mouth is important. I asked my grandson. I was with my little uh, grandson one day. And he said something kind of smart. And I said, you better watch your mouth. He goes, Papa, I can't even see my mouth. <laughs> Oh, the mouth of babes, right? <laughs> Papa, I can't even see my mouth. So anyway, hey, listen, I wanted to just touch base on, on this sheet that you received. It, there is an update on there, quite a bit of information. The front, I have not updated because I haven't had time to do it. But the back is updated, and there's still some information on there that you might be interested. Most of the stuff we have received, we have paid for. And if you notice, our sconces on the wall have mysteriously disappeared. And they are in the new building already installed. Amen? And so, just letting you know how things are going, the painting will be done probably by Tuesday. The entire building, all the painting will be done. The carpet in the offices is finished. A couple of the classrooms have been carpeted. Things are happening, and so there's a lot of work to be done, but uh, praise God, it is happening. So we're, we're excited about that. You know, this morning, um, I'm going to do something a little bit different, but I believe that it's important. I believe the Spirit has led me to do this. And, uh, you know, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13, if you have that scripture, can you throw that up there for me? Romans chapter 13, verse 7. Render to all men their dues, pay taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is, is due, respect to whom respect is due, and honor to whom honor is due. And I believe that the scripture tells us that when someone is worthy of honor, that we should honor them as the Lord would have us do. And Acts chapter 13, I'd like for you to uh, place that up there for me as well. This speaks of David. It says, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. Now, there's some things that he was trying to bring across there. But the point I want to show you is that for David, after he had served God in his own generation by the will of God, died and passed away. And so we are, um, we are all aware, most likely, of the passing of uh, Billy Graham. And I'm totally convinced that if Billy Graham had have lived before the word of God was written, that he would have been in chapter 11 of Hebrews as one of the heroes of the faith. Because of his, his life, his legacy, uh, the, the people that have received the Lord because of his ministry. How many in this room, is there anyone in this room that got saved as a result of Billy Graham's ministry? Two people, three, four. At Pastor's Prayer this last Thursday, 
Uh, for many of you uh, know that I, I pray with the pastors every Thursday. We have uh, usually five, six men that get together and we pray for our valley. We pray for one another. And uh, one of the pastors there was saved at one of his crusades. And so we, we see the result of this man's ministry all over the world. And some of the things that he said, I want to just share with you. One of the things he said this, my one purpose in life is to help people find a personal relationship with God, which I believe comes from knowing Christ. And he says this, I guarantee that you can know peace with God, peace of soul, peace of mind, and joy such as you have never experienced. And for those of us who have lived in, uh, with Christ for some times in our life, we know the kind of peace he's talking about. We know the peace that we know when we trust in God. That no matter what goes on around us, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what is coming our way, we know that God has it. He said, I've got this. I've got it. It doesn't matter what it is. There's nothing, nothing that surprises God. Eddie, Eddie was talking about that. There's not, there's not anything that comes against you or, or, or comes your way that God is not aware of and either allows or he has a plan for. And so all of these things that we have in our lives that come our way, God knows it. And I love the scripture. He said he knows it all together. Every little intimate thing he understands. He knows. And so there's not anything that escapes his attention. There's not anything that he's not aware of. There's not anything that he's not ready to handle in our lives, as long as we release it to him. And the peace of joy, of, it's, it's an amazing, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I'd like to show something for you. I'm going to have a video that I'd like to show because I believe he's a better preacher than me. And that's why we have a little bit uh, of different service today. And so just bear with me as we, uh, we hear from, I believe, one of the modern-day prophets of the Lord. Honestly. I hope it's ready. If not, I'm going to have to keep on preaching. <laughs> Billy Graham had so many wonderful quotes. And, and some of those quotes were so powerful. I would encourage you, if you would like, uh, if you can get on YouTube and look up a clip where um, Larry King. So there we go. That's the wrong one. That's the wrong one. Okay. So stop and, and go back to the, the, the other one. We are perfect in this place. <laughs> there we go. This is the one we want. Now you can't change your past, but you can determine your destiny by deciding for Christ. But Christ can change your past. He died on the cross so that all the sins you've ever committed, all the things you've ever done wrong are forgiven. What do you have to do? You have to repent of your sins. That means to be willing to change your way of living. You may have no power to do it. 
You may not have power to give up some of those habits you know are wrong. You may not have power to fall in love with your wife again. You may not have power to change your whole life that you know needs to be changed. But if you surrender to Christ, he'll give you the power. You say, well, Billy, I don't know what else to do. I've been baptized. I joined the church and so forth, but I don't really have peace and joy and power in my life, all that you're talking about. How do I get it? Jesus Christ said, I am the way. Come to Christ. He will give you a new strength and a new power and a new joy and a new peace and a purpose for living. Every person that ever lived has to make the same choice. It's either the world and its pleasures and its gods or it's Christ. Which is it for you? Who are you choosing? Who are you voting for? Choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Oh yes, there's pleasure in sin for a short time. But it's soon over. The hangover comes and there's nothing you can do about it. It's going to be there. Choose Christ and there'll never be a hangover except joy and peace. And it's an urgent decision because to delay makes the right decision harder. Indecision in itself is a choice. Not to decide is to decide not to. If you have a ticket for a flight to Atlanta tonight and can't decide whether to go or not, if you wait past the departure time, the choice will have been made. The plane will take off without you. Decisions are made whether we make them or not. Time decides if you will not. And time always decides against you. There's a lonely arena in the depths of your heart where the greatest battle of life must be fought alone. That's your decision about Christ. Your parents can't make it for you. The church can't make it for you. Your friends can't make it for you. Your girlfriend, your boyfriend can't make it for you. You have to make it yourself. And you must decide tonight. There are hundreds of people here tonight that have to decide tonight. And your decision tonight, yes or no, will decide where you'll be a hundred years from now. If you're not sure that you're ready to meet God, if you're not sure you're going to heaven and you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, you come and make sure tonight. I believe that none of you are here by accident tonight. I believe that you're here on this particular night because this is the night that you are to meet God in a new way and receive him into your heart. It's pretty awesome stuff, isn't it? You know, he talks about in this particular thing, uh, what I was asking you to do is go to, to YouTube and pull up Larry King. And uh, he interviews Billy Graham about a book that he wrote on death and dying. And, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's amazing to, to have him speaking about that. And uh, it was a very respectful interview. I'll tell you, he had great respect for Billy Graham. But the interview was, was pretty amazing when you hear him talking about that, knowing that he had just passed away and what he was expecting and, and so on. So I encourage you to go and listen to that because it was long. It was too long for us to share this morning. But what he was sharing in this particular uh, passage was uh, how do we receive peace? With God, how do we receive peace in our lives, and and so on? So basically, go ahead and turn the lights all the way up so people can read. Uh, 
And so what we want to do is there were four steps, and one of them was God's purpose and peace for life. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. And Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this. He says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's something here for us to really grasp hold of. Why, why is there an issue of why do we need peace with God? Because we'll, we'll, we'll actually uh, find out here in just a moment why that is important and why the scripture means so much. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who, is, who, who died on the cross, who paid my debt and forgave me of my sin and covered my sin with his blood. And what that means is my sin has been taken and cast as far as the east is from the west, buried in the sea of forgetfulness, and literally never remembered by God anymore. See, we have a problem forgetting sin, don't we? It, uh, it seems to be that our flesh reminds us of it quite often, huh? We know we're forgiven in our hearts. We know we're forgiven in our minds. And yet... We think of the things that we did, and, and it comes back, and it haunts us. And yet, here's something that's really interesting. God has the amazing ability to forget your sin. But we can't. Oh, it keeps coming back up in our face. You did that, you slimeball. And I'll tell you, it's an amazing thing. But when God says this, he actually says this in Romans. When we were at our worst, God's mercy was at its best. Wow. When I was at my lowest point, when I was at my darkest moments, when I was wondering why God could love someone like me, his mercy shines forth like a bright and shining light in my heart and tells me I am forgiven. Not only am I forgiven, but my sin is forgotten. It's forgotten. See, when, when Christ's blood was shed for me, it's like a, a cleansing of something. You know, you see the commercials about OxyClean. Right? You see it. I mean, there's a, there's a stained thing. They dip it in the water and it comes out perfect. It doesn't do it at home, but it does on TV. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's amazing how things work on TV that don't work at home. When I was, had little cars and things like that I used to play with, they didn't do the same things at home as they did on TV. But what I'm saying is that's basically the way it is. His blood. The Bible says, though my sins were like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Dipped in the blood of Christ. Come out completely clean. See, what happens is that when Christ looks at you, when Christ looks at you, after you have been born again, after you have received Christ as your Savior, repented of your sin, and asked Him to come be Lord of your life, and His blood covers you, when He looks at you, He doesn't see you. He sees 
what has happened through the blood of his son. And he sees the perfected you, where each and every one of your sins have been washed away, and you are completely and totally cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And that is awesome stuff. That's good preaching, Pastor. Say amen. Amen. Woo! <laughs> we hear the scripture. Remember, remember, guys, don't let familiar scriptures pass you by. We know so many of them that we've heard over and over, and no, none of us have heard this one. I mean, it, it is the one that's been heard the most. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what we see is that he gave his son. And then the scripture right after it says this. He did not give his son to condemn the world. For the world was condemned already. Why? Because we're sinners. That's why. And so we were living in a sinful state. John chapter 1, we'll talk about that a little bit later. He said this, to all those who received him, he gave the power to become a child of God. To all those who received what Christ did for us. See, I've talked to many people, and they believe things. I ask them, do you believe that Jesus lived? I said, yes. I said, do you believe that he died on the cross? I said, yes. Do you believe that he rose from the dead? And they go, yes. I said, have you received him as your Lord and Savior? And they have not. So they believe all the elements of salvation. Yet they have not placed their trust in what he did for them. They haven't placed their trust in what happened on the cross. It's more than just believing that it happened. It's more than just believing that God is there and that God has done these things. There's, there's something that has to happen in here. And it's taking that which I believe and putting action to it. Which means that I take those things I believe and I receive what he did for me by repenting of my sin and receiving that great wonderful gift that I can never earn myself. See, salvation is an amazing thing. It's not about how good we are. And none of us are that good. Right? None of us are. You know, I, somebody says, boy, boy, you're good, Pastor. No, I'm not that good. I want to make sure you understand. And I've talked to people many times where, where they, they're depending on how good they are and how they treat other people, and they're comparing themselves with other people. Well, you know, I'm not like those guys, and we even see that in Scripture where the Pharisee compared himself with the, with the publican, and he said, well, I'm not like this guy. I fast twice a week. I give my tithes. I do this and that. And, and, and then the sinner says, oh, God, forgive me. I am a sinner. And he says, the one that said that went away justified, and the other one didn't. Why? Because he was trusting in his works. You know, I have an, an analogy that's pretty amazing to me, really. 
And, and I, I think of this. I think of salvation and works. How, how does it work? It's like waking up in the middle of, a, of an acre field. I'm in the middle of an acre field, and it's just snowed like two feet. And it's just perfect. And I'm standing in the middle of it. And God says this, if you can get out of that field without messing up the snow, you can have eternal life. Think of it. Can't do it. Unless I can fly. Which I can't. And I can't jump that far. I'm white. So... So the issue comes down to the fact that, here, here's the thing. Here's what I want you to see compared to works and the gift. The gift of God is accepting what Christ did for us. Amen. Receiving that and accepting that. And when I'm trying to work for it, when I'm trying to be good enough, I'm trying to say enough prayers, I'm trying to, to do enough things, my first step, messes up the snow. And no matter what I do, no matter how hard I work, I can't fix it. Once it's messed up, it's messed up. And anything I do just keeps on messing up more. Where it's hopeless. But when I receive that gift, it is awesome. And if not, they're coming for you. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. I want, I want to share something with you. I want to go to Colossians chapter 1. So I'm, I'm ahead of, of everything out there, but it's okay. God understands. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 12, because this is the idea. Find myself, find myself at a place where I'm, I'm, I'm here, and I can't get anywhere else without messing up the snow. But he says this in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, listen to this, and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Get to all the idea of translated. I'm standing here. I can't do anything about it. There's an acre of ground surrounding me. I can't get out. But His love has translated me. He's taken me from here and placed me in his kingdom. Translated me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. How awesome is that? When I trust him, when I receive him as my Lord and Savior, I have been made new. The Spirit of God comes into my life, makes me a new creation, makes my dead spirit alive. 
and I am hid in Christ forever. Wow. That is a fantastic thing. See, the Bible tells us that the problem is with the whole thing is our separation from God. And the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Each and every one of us. There is no one who has not sinned. I'll ask you a question. Do you teach your children to lie? Huh? Some people do. Some people teach them to lie and steal and cheat and all that kind of stuff. There are people that do that. But most of us do not teach our children to lie. But guess what? They figure it out all by themselves, don't they? Have you ever known that? They will lie. And we don't teach them to lie. They are selfish. And we don't teach them to be selfish. Why? Because our nature is sinful. And it's our children, our babies typically go, Mommy, Daddy, mine. Is that the, is that the nature they have? <laughs> Mommy, Daddy, mine. Or no. Or something like that, right? So our nature is sinful. And we don't have to teach kids how to sin. They, they will do it all by themselves. And we have to teach them to be selfless. We have to teach them to share. We have to teach them to not lie and to tell the truth and to love the truth. And that's our job as parents is to work with these kind of things and help our children understand these things. But our nature is sinful. And so we've all sinned. We all sin and we fall show the glory of God. And so there's this great gulf between us and God. The problem is, is separation between God and us. And how do, we, how do we battle that separation? The only way is through the bridge of Christ Jesus. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father. No one can bridge that gap except through me. I make the way. I make the, the ability for you to do that. And so when we see that, <laughs> Isaiah 59 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. God can't look upon sin. And the difficulty of that is this. The Bible says that people have tried to bridge this gap themselves. And it says that the, uh, there, is a way, excuse me, there is a way that appears to be right, but the end there leads to death. That's when people are trying to do it themselves. They're trying to be good enough. They're trying to, to say enough Hail Marys or whatever it might be that you try to do to prove that you are going to be righteous enough. And you can't do it. It's not possible. And the Bible says in Romans 6, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen. Eddie was talking about when Jesus was in the garden today. He had no idea what I was talking about. Neither did the other lady that had the word. And we'll see how that fits in later. When Jesus was in the garden, 
he cried out to God. But when he was on the cross, he said this, my God, my God. See, he knew this was coming. And this is what he was dreading more than anything. See, we think that the beating was an issue. We think that the crown of thorns and the disrespect and the ripping out of his beard and the spitting on him and all those things were, were, were the tough part. That was only the warm-up. The crucifixion, the pain that he suffered from being beat was only the warm-up for what was to come. And when our sinless creator was stretched on the cross, nails through his hands and his feet, crown of thorns on his head, beaten mercifully, unmercifully, And at the point before his death, he took the sin of the world. Every mass shooter, every mass rapist, every person, every sin, every vile thing that you've ever done, it's a sad thing. He took it all. Whether we give it to him or not, he still took it. Whether we acknowledge that free gift and receive it and walk in it, he still took it. And it says this, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The very incarnate God in the flesh came, died on the cross in your place, paid your debt, and took on your sin and the sin of the whole world. And because of that, God had to turn his back up on him. The one who had been with God from the beginning had never been separated from his father was separated from his father for that moment because of our sin. Boy, you should be grateful. We should be grateful. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? And his last words, it is finished. It's done. He took it. He bore it. And he became sin for us that we may become the righteousness of God in Christ. Wow. Whew. Imagine this. The Bible says, For there is one God, verse Timothy, and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. <clears throat> Imagine this. Imagine a judge, a natural judge right here, Douglas County. Those of you that have been involved in the judicial system at some point, maybe, maybe on, on the, uh, the bench area, wherever. We've all been there. Some of us have been there more than once. Maybe not all of us, but <laughs> some of us. <clears throat> Imagine the judge taking every 
crime that was brought to him, taking every criminal that was proven guilty, whether by peer or admission or, or whatever, conviction was there. Imagine a natural judge saying, you are convicted, but I personally am going to pay your debt. I personally are going to go to jail for you. I personally am going to die in your place. I personally am going to take your penalty and set you free. You only get to do that a couple of times. But the God of the universe did exactly that. He took my penalty and he paid it. And because of that, I am free. I'm free. Is this awesome? Man, I'm telling you, this is so fantastic. And then the step, I went through step two and three kind of together. Step four is our response to receive Christ. And the Bible did tell us that if we receive him, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. But if we receive him, we become children of the Lord. Romans 10 said this, If you you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When you receive that, it is a promise of God. I'm going to give everybody a little bit of time to respond. i got one scripture I want to back up to, which is Philippians chapter 4. I'll bypass this, and we're going to go back to it. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start actually in um, in verse 4. Because he was talking about having peace with him. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men, for the Lord is at hand. Now, this is what he tells us is a formula to walking in peace and joy in the Lord. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your request be made known to God. And listen to what he says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Billy Graham's last message was right after his 99th birthday, as far as I can ascertain this 
was in uh, not very long ago, and I have a video of that. But I want you to take a moment, and I want you to think about what he's saying. Because here's the thing. His last message was not only to those who are lost. It was a great evangelist. There's, there's absolutely no question about how he had an anointed voice. It was an anointed voice. Every time his mouth opened, the anointing of God was on it, and it was an amazing thing. And people responded because it was the Lord's doing. But his last message was not only to those who are lost, but it was also to believers. That I find interesting, that his legacy was left to you and I. And when the word was given this morning that God wants to do something, but you have to be a part of it. You have to be a part of it. The other word came forth, sing a song. You might need to come and, and, and give something to the Lord, right? What we're going to do is we're going to have our prayer team available over here on this side of the church. And to those of you that may want to receive Christ as your Savior for the first time and make a commitment to the Lord, or you want prayer from someone, whatever, the prayer team will be available. But if you just want to come and just spend time with the Lord yourself, just dumping some stuff, this side of the church will be open for you. So I'm going to make that right now. Just to let you know. So he said this. He wants us to rekindle our relationship with the Lord. That was like his last words. And he was talking to us. Why? Because he knows that it is us who have the words of reconciliation to a lost and dying world. And if we don't do it, it's not going to get done. And he says, I want you to rekindle their relationship. He said, rekindle your relationship with the Lord. Let our prayer, this is not him, this comes from me. Let our prayer, Lord, set me on fire. Set me on fire, God. Put some fire in here. Put some fire in here. That I may burn for you. That when I leave this world, I'm not leaving any potential behind. I don't want to leave anything here that I could have done. And, and Noah just preached a word the other night. On Wednesday night, he was talking about while we're here, now is the time for us to cross boundaries. Right, now is the time for us to cross barriers. Because once we get in the presence of the Lord... There is no crossing. There is no going back and forth. It's over. And if we don't do it now, it's not going to get done. And it won't get done when we pass on. So, Lord, let us burn for you. And here's what I said. May the light from that fire, as I'm burning for God, may the light from that fire lead the lost to Christ. May it light their way. May it show footsteps on how to progress to the 
relationship of eternal life. May it warm cold souls and ignite others. May this fire be a candle that goes from one candle to the next and starts fresh fires in people's lives. Let me burn for you, Jesus. Let me burn for you. Let that fire. And may it destroy sin and wickedness in me and in others. Let it be a fire that burns bright, hot, and consumes things that are not of the Lord. Okay, go ahead and show the video, if you would, please. November 7th is my father's 99th birthday. He's entered his 100th year. Uh, what an amazing journey. Billy Graham has always been a man of milestones, and he's really reached a new one this 99th birthday. Most people say he's America's pastor, but that so understates it. If you interview people and who do you most admire in the world of, of everybody, whoever, you know, Billy's always at the top. How he persevered over a long period of time, I think that's impacted me the most. He was intentional about his life. He was intentional about his calling. He never veered off from being evangelist. A model of spiritual proclamation and of spiritual integrity. He was used to being with presidents, but he would be just as kind to somebody that was serving him lunch. There was a kindness about him and a gentleness about him and a welcoming spirit about him, which is reflective of the gospel. He answered the questions, but it always came back to Christ is your savior, Christ loves you, Christ is with me. Humility, integrity, and generosity. Billy Graham showed all three. I think Dr. Graham's birthday should be a, a time for us to reflect. For many years, I've had the privilege of being Mr. Graham's close friend and personal pastor. And so one can imagine the wonderful conversations that we've had together over these years. It's been such a joy to be blessed by him and to learn from him and to hear the things that God has placed in his heart. I've been praying that we might have a spiritual awakening, but I think that becomes possible only as individuals surrender their lives afresh and anew to Christ and live the Christian life wherever you are. First, we do everything we can to follow in the steps of Jesus. We're to live a life in which we love one another, we help one another, we live according to what Jesus lived. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us live that new lifestyle, which is one of love, gentleness, and patience, and all of these things that are the fruit of the Spirit.
We must remember that we communicate the gospel by our lives as well as our lips. We live before a watching world, a world that is waiting to see if what we say is lived out in our lives. We must be living in the power of the Spirit. We must be men and women who are pure vessels for God's message. Secondly, you read His Word every day, the Bible. I know it's very difficult, but you need to start somewhere. And I'd suggest you start with the Gospel of Luke and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, start with the very first verse, in the beginning, God. And study those passages. Make the Bible your source and your authority. Quote it frequently. Let its message be your message. Study it, meditate upon it, memorize it, trust its promises. The Word of God itself has power. And the third thing, go to your knees and pray until you and God have become intimate friends. I cannot describe to you the joy and the peace that He gives to you as a result of that daily routine that you have in prayer. Is there a lack of power in your life? Perhaps you have neglected the preparation of your life. We've neglected prayer. We've neglected God's Word in the feeding of our own souls. Whatever it is, confess it, forsake it, repent of it, and then walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and gain victory over it. And may God today lift our vision and may the power of the gospel break upon our world with fresh force as we are obedient to Christ's call to repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Hallelujah. Repent. Repent of it, confess it. Man, powerful message. Powerful message. You know what I want to do? I want our worship team to come up, and we're going to sing a song that I'm sure you've probably heard many times before. But I want you to look at something. I want you to look at his face. I want you to see the very peace of God that isn't a man that has lived his life for God. His goal is to see every man and woman come to Christ. He's sitting there looking out over his, his yard or the mountains there and there's such a peace in his face knowing well not knowing exactly, but when you're 99, you know and you're pretty close. Knowing he's pretty close, we don't realize, I mean, he didn't realize how close he was. But that peace 
Man, I want it to be said of me that I served God in my generation. And then I went to be with the Lord. Can you say that of yourself? He was talking to us. He was talking to us. Not the lost. Come to God afresh. Come to God afresh. See, I want the worship, I want our prayer team, every prayer team member that we can to be down here. Every prayer team member, go ahead and come on down. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, this prayer team will pray with you. And you can meet God in a new way. A real way. Just like he's talking about. sing a song that he ends all of his crusades with. Let me tell you this. This I know without any question in my mind. If Billy Graham would say you're doing a memorial service for me. Don't leave this room without making a commitment to Christ. What a great, great testament of a man who lived his life for God than hundreds of thousands of people around this world giving their lives to Christ today and at his memorial service, whenever those things are. And I just want to invite you to come. I hopefully can sing.